Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, when we started this project, we were not sure how hard it would be to edit, record everything, and then eventually distribute. But then luckily, someone told us about Anchor. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. Secondly, they have creation tools that will allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or your computer. They distribute your podcast for you. And the best thing is you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Unprotected Sets captures the energy of a live comedy show and brings it directly to your ears. Part stand-up, part interview. You'll get an inside scoop into the tragically funny lives and minds of rising star comics. Real, raw, and funny. It's Unprotected Sets. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Jared Logan, let him hear it. I don't know. How's everybody doing tonight? Sorry, the mat. It was hard to hear me because of the mask. Boy, I love an outdoor show. The temptation to misuse the microphone at an outdoor show is tremendous. How many people in Burbank do you think can hear us right now? Attention, everyone leave your homes. There's been a chemical attack. Stand outside your homes and wait for military personnel. Probably right now, people would be like, I get to leave my home? Oh my God, thank you. Boy, I'm so excited I can't even like smell or taste right now. This is uh, really an exciting night. Thank you all for showing up. My mom, I think, really wanted a little girl. Uh, she told me a lot that my name would have been Erica. Erica Logan. Do I look like an Erica? Imagine me just as a woman. I think I kind of like it. But um, I spent a lot of time with her. I didn't want to go play baseball out in the yard with like my uncles and cousins. I wanted to hang out in the dining room and kind of lay on the floor and listen to the women talk about relationships and feelings. And uh, that's what they were doing. But when I would try to do it with them, they would be like, okay, go play. Well, what did I really want to talk about tonight? I wanted to talk about, you know, what I really miss is movies. And uh, boy, that was an industry that was headed out already, wasn't it? That was kind of, kind of already sort of done before even all of this. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, this is something that I've noticed, and see if you agree with me. I noticed that it seems to me that movies used to be the cool one, and TV was the lame one. 
But now TV is the cool one and movies are the lame one. And that's an observation that only I have had at several parties. But you know that movies are like getting desperate because like last time I went to a movie that they, they do this new thing now. It's so weird where like after the trailers, there's like this little extra trailer where like the producer or the director appears on screen and he has like a little message where he goes, thank you so much for coming to the movies. Thank you. For, you could have gone anywhere tonight. Thank you. It's a little sweaty, isn't it? That would be like if I went to your restaurant and I took a bite and the chef walked out and went, you ate that? Like, why are you so excited? And no one was asking for that. No one felt that way. No one was walking out of the movie like, wow, Mission Impossible was awesome. Would have been nice to get a thank you. No one felt that way. No one talks like that. They tried everything. They tried everything to get you to go to the movies. I went to a 4DX movie. Do you know what that is? A 4DX movie is a movie where the seat moves and it like blows air in your face. So it's like a movie, but someone is bothering you. Lindsay <laughs> kept slapping me in the ass. If you want to see a movie but feel like your wallet is being stolen by your chair, go to the 4DX movie. At one point, I'm not making this up, it sprayed water in my face. I'm not okay with that. Who is changing the water in the moving seats for minimum wage? Hey, Tim, change that seat water. Oh, I'll get right on that. Spliff! That's not happening. I have listeria from the old seat water. <laughs> the real problem is that none of the movies were good anymore. They were bad. Well, a couple years ago, they, they made a movie called First Man. Does, does anybody remember First Man? It was about Neil Armstrong in the moon landing, okay? Uh, a great time in our nation's history, I guess. Uh, now, what they do in these biopics is they always cast a fantastic actress. And First Man cast Claire Foy. Do you guys know Claire Foy? She's an amazing actress. She's in The Crown. She has incredible range. But her job, her role in First Man was, she was the wife. <laughs> so her entire role in the movie was just every once in a while talking to Neil Armstrong and being like, you be careful out there, Neil. <laughs> and then later in the movie, she got to go, I hope Neil is careful out there. Do you know what I mean? That was her whole role in the movie. But then, you know, Hollywood thinks it's very progressive. So you could tell that someone who was writing the movie was like, no, fuck that. We got to give Claire Foy a better role. So they put a part in the movie that definitely never happened in history. <laughs> where Claire Foy marched into NASA and told them to be careful. <laughs> she marches right into NASA. They let, why would they let her in? They're like, it's a woman with a bone to pick. Let her through. <laughs> she marches in and she walks up to the NASA guys and she's like, you be careful out there. <laughs> but if I was Claire Foy, and they offered me that part of the movie, I'd be like, no, that doesn't go far enough. I demand that my character be an alcoholic who is unsupportive of the moon landing. <laughs> and there'd be a scene where Neil Armstrong comes home like, well, look who decided to show up. <laughs> How was Neptune, Neil? <laughs> 
One small step for man, you can't even take out one bag of fucking garbage. You piece of garbage. I date women now. I was always very precocious and a little spazzy and would like go to school in like purple shirts with like hearts on them and back and I wore my jeans backward to the first day of fifth grade because I thought that that was cool or a thing I was gonna start which made school very awkward you know there was always the redneck was when they would slap you on the neck really hard on the back of your neck um, there was the thing where a kid would uh, you know get on all fours behind you and then a kid would push you over him that was uh, middle school in West Virginia Hey y'all, it's Fem. It's Jaden. It's Carly Hansen. It's Oliver Tree. What's going on? It's Ian Dior, and we all know Valentine's Day is the most romantic time of the year. Whatever. Ah! My friends and I are about to turn the whole holiday upside down in our new scripted holiday series, Valentine's Day in Hell. First we spent Halloween in Hell. Now you're invited to be a part of the next musical podcast from our In Hell series. This time around, the devil is playing games with all of our hearts trying to ruin our Valentine's Day plans by dragging us down to the depths of hell. In each episode, you're going to hear new original music from artists like Ian Dior, Jaden, Carly Hansen, and me, Pat. Tune in to the Valentine's Day in Hell comedy horror musical podcast. Subscribe for full episodes, bonus material, and original music. This February, check out Valentine's Day in Hell. Brought to you by Audio Up and Podcast One. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now I can tell you the really big news that I have, which is that my wife and I had a baby last year. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And I, you know, my wife, I guess she was worried that I, um, well, wouldn't be a good father, because she got me a fatherhood book. <laughs> a book of tips on how to be a father called The Expectant Father. Do not read that book. Because the expectant father, I swear to God, it had a line in it that was giving me advice and it said, remember to tell your wife to exercise every day and to eat plenty of fruits and vegetables. And I was like, I think you better tell her that fatherhood book. I don't think I'm going to say that to her. I don't remember the name of the guy who wrote it. I know that he is dead. I know that... His wife brought a life into the world and then took one out of it, is what I think happened. We went to the maternity class. Do you guys know what that is? It's where you go, uh, you know, a couple weeks before the birth, and nurses and doctors explain to you what's going to happen during the birth. And I was there to learn, but I didn't realize that there were, like, a lot of parents there who were there to question the process. <laughs> so, like, the nurses who know what they're doing were showing us the forceps, which are like these little baby salad tongs, you know? <laughs> that you just sometimes use to turn the baby. And this one woman was, like, not having it. She just, like, raised her hand to ask a question. She was like, um... Doesn't that hurt the baby's head? <laughs> Which is kind of a stupid question, right? Like, the nurse isn't going to be like, Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> Every baby we've tried this on has died. <laughs> Thank God you brought it up. I have to call the American Medical Association. Hey, we got a hero mom here. Save the next fucking generation. <laughs> My wife, uh, my wife came home uh, a couple weeks before the birth and was like, um, 
hey, good news. The doctor said that uh, in a couple of weeks we can start doing things to induce labor. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like what? And she was like, well, she said one of the things we can do is have sex. <laughs> and I was like, well, pick another one. Because... <laughs> I don't want to induce labor that way. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> I already feel bad when I have sex with my wife and I don't go long enough. I don't need to roll off my wife and have her go, that was so nice. <laughs> I mean, it didn't make me go into labor, but... <laughs> also, I don't want my baby to be born like that. Who wants their baby to be like in the womb? Like, what is that knocking? What is that... <laughs> Oh, Dad, I'll be right out. Like, that's not how I want that to go. <laughs> My upbringing was kind of repressed. So if I had said, you know, sex in my house, I would have gotten in trouble with the word sex. You know, I remember when I was first entering puberty, you have nocturnal experiences, right? Well, I was so sheltered, I had no idea what was happening. So I remember one day I went down from my room and I said to my mom and dad, like, Okay, so my bed is damp, and I have no idea why. Come upstairs. You got to come see this. And then I took my mom and my dad up to look at my bed, and I was like, okay, so what do we think happened here? Let's spitball some ideas of what this could be. And then they turned to me, and they said, don't worry about it. And we never spoke of it again. You guys know what skin to skin is? Skin to skin is the moment after a baby's born, doctors say that you need to take the naked baby and put it against the mother's naked body or the baby becomes a serial killer. (laughs) So our baby was born, and I, you know, you probably know this, when a baby is born, it's got stuff on it. Like, it's covered in shit. And I mean, literally shit is on the baby. And they took this baby that was still covered in all that stuff and they handed it to my wife and they were like, skin to skin. And my wife was like, I'm good, you know. <laughs> Don't really. A little background on my wife. She is a huge asshole. So, <laughs> no, they were like, skin to skin. And uh, she was like, no. And they were like, you have to or the baby will be Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> they handed her the baby. Now, what happened next was there was a little complication. There was a little complication. My wife is fine now. She's completely fine. But put it this way, if it had been the 1800s, I would be a widower. So they had to take the baby away from my wife. And they turned to me and they were like, skin to skin? And I was like, I guess I have to to save my baby. And in front of the female OBGYN and three female nurses, I took off my shirt. <laughs> And I held my naked daughter against my breast. (laughs) And it felt really nice. And then she started trying to drink from my breast. And I was like, okay, okay, take her back, put her in an incubator or something. Because I don't want her to wind up all topsy-turvy. So do something with her. We're very different in our approach to the baby because I'm always like afraid that the baby's going to be in danger or, you know, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm an anxious dad. And my, my wife is so cavalier. Four days after the baby was born, she was like, let's take her out. Let's take her down the street. Let's roll her down a hill. Let's put dirt on her. Help me put dirt on the baby. It builds immunity. See what I mean? 
we're just very different people, my wife and I. Like, I looked up our love languages. Uh, love language is just about how different people express love differently. And uh, I looked up mine, and mine is the dumbest one. My love language is verbal. So that means I just tell you, I'm just like, I love you. That's my love language, is telling you I love you. My wife's is acts of service. So that means my wife just does things for me to let me know that she loves me. And it ends up creating weird interactions. Like, a normal day for us is, I'll turn to my wife and I'll be like, honey, I know this is going to sound a little weird, but like, I've never met someone like you that makes me feel so young, but also so mature at the same time. And like, so totally myself every minute of the day and it's just why I love you. And then she'll go, I got you those pens you like. (laughs) And then we get a divorce? I don't know. (laughs) My wife wants to be cremated, I'll tell you that. She wants to be cremated and I know this because she tells me once a day. (laughs) Does that feel like a lot to you guys? Because it feels like a lot to me. Every day, my wife is like, like we'll be sitting watching Queer Eye, and she'll be like, remember to burn my corpse when I die. Like, Jesus Christ, okay. Fuck, got it. Like you said yesterday, got it. So, she had a birthday coming up. I wanted to do something nice for her. So I went to a mortuary and tried to get that taken care of for her. I went into a mortuary, and I was like, burn my wife's body when she dies. And they were like, we can't sign her up for that without her here. I was like, okay, you're ruining her present. (laughs) And, you know, then they asked me what I would like to have happen to my body when I die. And I'm not like my wife. I want to be buried. I've decided I want to be buried. If that's, if the grave is the last little space I get on earth, I'll take it. I want it. I want that. That's my square. I want it. I want to inconvenience future generations. Oh, you wanted to build a school here? Tough shit. I'm having a lie down. So then I was like, could you do this? Could you fix it so that I'm buried in the grave with my wife's ashes so that I could miss the point of her instructions one last time? That would be great. I want to die as I lived misinterpreting her instructions. There's just places in the country where certain forms of expressing yourself are really frowned upon. I don't know. The only emotion men are allowed to express is anger. So when I became old enough that I was on my own, I wanted to talk about everything. I wanted to barf up all the feelings I had and say things that were inappropriate. Fuck, piss, shit, cock and ass, you know, dick juice. I wanted to say all of those things, especially dick juice. I would only say them on stage. I would only, like, really open up on stage. And that wasn't healthy either. But it did make me addicted to stand-up, which I think, you know, eventually got me to do it professionally a little bit. Hey, this is Adam Carolla. Let me tell you about my podcast. We do it uh, every single day, so you can subscribe, and there'll always be a fresh one waiting for you. It's about two hours of... uh, topics, topical topics, and news, and guests, and uh, comedians, and of course my own vitriolic take on uh, just about everything that's going on in the world. Plus, um, we get a lot of really interesting, uh, notable people who come in. We'll get politicians, we'll get uh, tastemakers, we'll get stand-ups, we'll get uh, authors, we'll get uh, 
pundits will get, uh, what I say? Well, I think about covers it all. Celebrities as well. And uh, we'll do some really interesting interviews with them. You can get the Adam Carolla Show wherever you download your podcast. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We lived in West Hollywood for a while. We had to move because uh, we had the baby. We needed more space. But also, you know, there was a feature in our West Hollywood apartment that I didn't really need anymore which the feature was our apartment had a woman who was experiencing homelessness who would sit outside our bedroom window at 6 a.m. and scream. (laughs) Just scream at 6 a.m. And you know the part that bothered me was not that she was screaming. The part was that I can't get up at 7 a.m. to go to the gym, and this woman's like, oh, it's 10 to 6. i got to be screaming outside that window. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I forgot to tell you, she didn't just scream. She would scream laugh. So at 6 a.m., she'd just be going, ah! <laughs> Fuck, she's happier than me, too. She's killing it, and I'm sitting in bed worrying about my mortgage. So we moved out to Highland Park. Highland Park. Not, I mean, you know, I, I love it there, but it's not that much better of a neighborhood. I, I got that Citizen app. You know, this is the app that, like, tells you about crimes that are occurring in your neighborhood. Don't get this thing. (laughs) I was home alone with the baby a couple nights ago, and the Citizen app went off, and the message said, man with a knife 60 feet away. (laughs) 60 feet? I started checking the cupboards. Is he in there? I looked at my hand. Do I have a knife? Is it me? You know what I ended up doing? I just shut the curtain. Does that keep knives out? I feel like that guy is walking around with an app that's like, guy just shutting the curtain. Go stab him. But I love L.A. I love every neighborhood of L.A. I I love this city, and I have this very right-wing father-in-law who hates L.A., and his favorite question to ask anytime we're talking is he, he wants to ask about L.A. He'll always be like, but how are you doing with the fires? How are the fires? Have the fires affected? Are you on fire? Is the baby on fire? How are you all dealing with the fires? And you know he loves the fires. You know he loves the fires because in his weird Fox News brain, he thinks the fires make him right. Like he thinks if you raise the minimum wage, shit catches on fire, you know? And I know where he's coming from actually because every time I'm watching the news and I see a town in Alabama or Louisiana that's flooded, I'm like, well, shouldn't have been a racist. And uh, that's not fair either. That's not fair either. And maybe we got COVID-19 because we all suck. So uh, my father-in-law is Jewish and pro-gun. He thinks that the teachers should all have guns. You know, so like instead of a shooting, we could have a shootout. I I don't know. 
He just he drives me crazy with that shit. I, I'm so anti-gun. You know, I, where I'm from is West Virginia, and they have open carry there. So when I go home for Thanksgiving and I'm walking into Target, I see guys that just have guns on their hip, you know? And it bothers me. First of all, it bothers me that when they're walking into Target, they don't take a couple shots at that Target. That feels <laughs> like a missed opportunity. But also, I'm bothered by the guns. I don't like guns. And I'll tell you why I don't like them. I'm afraid of them. Here's how I know I'm afraid of guns. This is completely true. Every time I see a gun, my asshole closes. That's how scary guns are. That's the best idea my body has to protect me. My brain's like, uh-oh, a gun. And my body's like, I got it. There you go. That wouldn't even help me if someone was firing into my asshole. One time I did that joke and another comedian was like, why was your asshole open? And uh, it's a fair question. I mean, my asshole puckers. You guys get it. Um, and my dad works at Walmart and he sees people who buy a gun once a month. So they have a gun collection, which I guess is legal. I don't know why their friends don't treat that like it's really creepy. That's a creepy collection to have, right? That would be like if you came over to my house and I was like, hey, welcome to my apartment. Here's my collection of rags that I've soaked in chloroform. <laughs> what, what, I just like to have a lot of something that I could put over someone's mouth and then knock them out and lock them in a basement. I'm not going to do it, it's just in case I need to. <laughs> what, it's a sport, it's a sport. <laughs> But I mentioned I'm from West Virginia, and uh, I really want people to understand what that's like. I, you know, if, if you want to understand, you can go on Netflix right now, and there's a documentary called Recovery Boys. And it'll tell you everything you need to know about being from West Virginia. It's all about guys from West Virginia who get addicted to opioids. But there's a moment in the documentary that sums up exactly what it's like to be from West Virginia. This one guy relapses, and his drug counselor goes to him, and he's like, dude, why are you doing this? You're ruining your life. Why are you relapsing? You're ruining your life. And the guy says something that is exactly what it is to be from West Virginia. He goes, you're ruining your life. Why are you doing this? And the guy goes, I'll tell you what, man. There ain't nothing to do here. That's so real. That is what it is. You know what I mean? I went to college in Memphis, Tennessee. It was actually like finally going to metropolitan Paris, moving from West Virginia to Tennessee. <laughs> College was good for me because I was like a theater major. And, you know, people think theater majors are dorks, and they are, but they also are heavily into drugs and sex and all the things that um, sort of force you to uh, loosen up a little bit. Well, as you can see, I'm extremely loose now, and uh, I really don't have all the hang-ups about religion or uh, sex that I used to, so. My big problem was growing up, like, my grandfather always thought the end of the world was coming. Everybody I knew thought the end of the world was coming, but my grandfather was the pastor of our church, right? And he would always preach every Sunday about the book of Revelation, right? Every Sunday. And so every Sunday, my grandfather would be up on a stage like this, and he'd be saying, the end times are coming, y'all. The end of the world is near. Armageddon will come, and everyone will die or be taken to heaven. And it could happen any day now. 
It could happen tomorrow. And then on Monday, he'd be like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, in heaven, I guess. If all that shit's happening. But the end of the world, everybody thinks that the end of the world is here. It's not. When people say the end of the world, they just mean that the world is changing. All of these apps, the news, they're trying to get you to think that the end of the world is here. It's not here. Don't listen to them. Here in Los Angeles, there are people now that are just like the people in West Virginia who think the end of the world is coming. I'll tell people that I had a kid. This really happened. I, I'll let, any, anytime you tell people in Los Angeles you had a kid, they're a little confused. Like, I was at a party, and I was like, oh, yeah, we had a baby. And people were like, why? <laughs> like, for commercials? But then this one woman, I, I swear to God, like, I told her we had a baby, and she was like, well, what about climate change? <laughs> Fuck you. I don't know what to say to that. Climate change? Well, we just want the baby to live a little while, then die. What do you think I'm going to say to that? Climate change. And look, you know what, guys? I believe that climate change is real. I do. But I think we have to see the brighter side of climate change, okay? We're going to lose some of the coasts. We don't need those coasts. Myrtle Beach, we do not need that. Florida, we could lose all of Florida. We will be better for it. And San Diego, they're not hurting, but they're not helping. You know what I mean? It's very smash mouth down there. I say we get rid of them too. And maybe once we all have to like live in Nebraska as roommates with like a chore wheel, we'll finally have a conversation. We'll finally talk about some shit, you know? Like, yeah, sure, I'm worried about, you know, raising a kid in climate change, but like, I don't know, maybe if a kid's never known another world, that could be fun for a kid, you know what I mean? You get to live on a boat with dad, you know? Dad drinks his own pee, that could be kind of fun. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, it's gonna be impossible to discipline her if we don't stop polluting the planet. Because when she's 15, I can't go to her and be like, Kind of disappointed you got a D on that math test. She's going to be like, I'm disappointed I have to wear a respirator outside. And I'm going to be like, touche. <laughs> you don't have to go to school. But everybody has been like, this is the worst year ever. This is the worst year. No, it's not. 2020 is not the worst year ever. Let me tell you guys about 1350. <laughs> In 1350, they had the bubonic plague. Do you know what that was? That was buboes. It's called bubonic because you got buboes. Do you know what buboes are? They're goiters you get on your dick. In the year 1350, you and everyone you knew was dying of dick goiters. <laughs> and no one knew how to cure it. They asked the best scientists at the time in 1350. They were like, what is causing this? And in 1350, the scientists were like, well, Jupiter is in the house of Saturn. That was not helpful. You do not have it as bad as those people. You have Postmates. Those people were like, I can't go out and grind the bread because of all the dick goiters. So, so be happy, be proud, and know this too shall pass. I think that's it for me. You guys have been incredible. I'll see you later, bye-bye. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me 
fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.